hi everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. And we're here for the podcast Invested. Where we discuss rule one investing, being mindful about your money. Yoga money. Yoga, that's that's what we should call it. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about rule one style investing. That's Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger. The basics are really, really simple. Charlie thinks they're so simple that professors won't teach it in universities because what would they do the rest of the semester? Sounds fabulous to me. Yeah. Let's Pretty good. You go and you take, take the off. first class. You get half an hour. Yeah. Actually, you get one minute of Charlie telling you, look, it's really simple. All you do is be capable of understanding the company. Make sure it has intrinsic characteristics that give it a durable competitive advantage. Make sure that the management team has integrity and they're talented. And make sure it has some sort of margin of safety that you're getting a deal on the price. That's it, folks. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. (laughs) Fair enough. Why listen to this podcast? It's so simple. Suddenly there are all these other things to talk about, though. Yeah. I have to add that today I I have tonsillitis, as you know, and I'm on antibiotics and I have a a little bit of a fever, so I'm going to try to keep up, but I can't talk super loudly. We're down here in Sarasota. Daniel's visiting me from Zurich right now. And she got tonsillitis, and it's For not sunny. For the third sunny. time in like six months, man. Yeah. I'm annoyed. So anyway, um, sorry, guys. I'm a little under the weather. But I'm thinking the tonsils have to go. <laughs> yeah, you just cut them out of there. We should have got them when you were a little squirt. Just, But I never, I never had tonsillitis no, when I was a did. kid, ever. This is so weird. So anyway, <laughs> we were just sitting here talking about what we were going to talk about, and we're going to talk about the market because it's having things happen to it. It is. And... Um, and I looked over at Dad's phone and realized he has a cool stock app. So I'm downloading it right now. It's called Stock Tracker. Okay, no? I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? I was just. I need to go talk to those guys and get you know. Hey, cut us in on the deal. Oh. You tell didn't, everybody. I didn't mean to say that. One. No, it's Stock Tracker, and I don't know anything about this. Well, company. I don't know. I'm going to download it and see if I even like it. I might yeah. say bad things about them next time. I like it. You it's better know. than the stock app on iPhone. Yeah. Well, that does nothing. No. Um, True. So I'm actually going to start looking at stocks. It's really exciting. And for me, this was kind of a revelation. The reason we were talking about stock tracker is because I have my computer sitting right in front of me right now. And instead of going, getting online, going into my app and my brokerage account, I just go to my phone. That's the first time I've ever done that. I've gone to my phone for data quicker by far than going to the computer. I use my phone more than my computer. Starting to think these guys are not... They're not blowing smoke when they say it's going to be a phone. It's going to be a mobile world. <laughs> it's all going to be sitting right there on the phone. So I'm looking at these, no, all these green and red symbols that tell you know whether a stock has gone up in price or down in price. And uh, down at the very bottom of this app, I put the indexes. And I, I like to key on the Dow Jones Industrial Index, which as of the end of today is at 16,398. Um, which means it's up a bit from from the bottom. Sorry, I've spaced. <laughs> what what it's what is 16, that? What is the Dow Jones the Industrial Dow Average? Jones. Yep. And um, while the Russell's still going down a bit, but it's also looking for a bottom. So that it looks like this market, which has been tumbling down uh, all the first week of the year, and now um, Monday it's starting to level out a little bit, and maybe it'll find a bottom. Um, and we talked about this in the last podcast about, you know, how important is it to understand what the market's going to do and all that. Yeah, and, totally. I, you know, I just wanted to make sure everybody understands that if you have a pretty, you know, solid idea about what the market's going to do, 
you should send me an email (laughs) (laughs) at philtown at you know what is what are the what are the guys on the on that car car talk thing do you know they just blow oh. smoke it's so funny send it to Dewey Cheatham and Howe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. send it to Dewey Cheatham and Howe and uh, and I will uh, I will jump all over that um, th- yeah so predicting the market is obviously not something that very many people do well because if you could do it well and consistently well you'd be stinking rich in no time whatsoever so anybody that's out there telling you they've got a way to predict the market and they can tell you which way stocks are going to go and all this is just full of it except for me i'm the only one (laughs) (laughs) no but here's here's what's useful it's not like you're prognosticating on like it's gonna go down everybody i mean you've been saying it's gonna go down now for like two years and it hasn't (laughs) yeah you have have been i've been really worried about eventually you'll be right exactly it's something they that that, that they do say on cnbc from time to time this is the perma bear Right, it means he's always saying the market's going to go down, and then eventually you're right. Because bear means that you think it'll go down, yeah, and bull means that you think it'll yeah. go up. Yeah, versus the majority of people on there are perma bulls. They they get paid to hype you into putting money in the stock, so they're going to always tell you the market's going to go up. And I've been on TV with lots of these guys, and um, it, you know they basically take the point of view that your financial advisor does, which is that nobody can predict the tops and the bottoms of the market. You you're better off to just dollar cost averaging in. When it's down really low, you're going to get more of it, and when you're, it's up really high, you're going to get less of it, and you should just stay in. And that's not stupid advice. That's reasonable advice. Wait, you just said that really quickly. Okay. Again? Um, so you said something about once you're in the market, you should just stay in? Is that well, what you just said? This is the advice that the whole financial services industry is going to give you. Oh, I have no idea what the financial services industry that's because you're my daughter. And I've warned <laughs> no, you off against that's them. That's because I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that industry is all about having your money. They In the industry, it's called AUM. 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 And it is the, what, it's the holy it grail AUM? of everybody in the financial services industry is AUM. That is assets under management. Oh. They get paid not for making you money. And they certainly don't get fired for losing you money. They get paid for assets under management, and they get fired when they do badly while the market's doing well. Yeah, it's essentially a sales job. It's a sales job and then just shadow the market. Yeah. Charlie Munger just... I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of lovely money managers out there who would say, I do all kinds of great things for my clients. There are. How not, dare you impugn what I do, but... There are a lot, I'm sure, in terms of, you know, count them. You know, there's probably 70, <laughs> <Stop>. 100. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really like guys like, you know, like Ken Fisher is a smart guy. I like what he does. His dad was Phil Fisher, who's really one of my heroes in the market, and... Uh, uh, tremendous investor in his own right, and one of the old school guys along with Buffett that Buffett really respected. Um, so he's sort of from the Buffett Graham, you know, mold of what I would call rule one investors. And Ken's a, a very effective money manager. He's got I don't know billions and billions of dollars under management, and he has, you know subscribes to the idea that there are times when you need to move your assets out of the market. It doesn't make sense to leave. A lot of money staying in the market if the market's going to crumble. 
and he sure. has tools that he uses, just like tools that I use, that we can evaluate something to do with whether that market's overvalued. And I don't know what Ken would say right now because I'm not. I'm. We're not communicating. I don't know any know him personally. But so Ken, email Dewey Cheatham and Hal <laughs> and let us know what the market's going to do. Tell us what the market's going to do, Ken. Um, but there are things I really like. And if you say it's going to go down, Phil Town beat you to it. <laughs> I, I would guess that he's a little nervous about things right now. I think most of the guys that I know who are good investors are, are pretty nervous about the market at 18000 at least. I just heard that UBS moved a bunch of its um, equity positions, a.k.a. stocks. I'm learning to use the lingo. Wow. Um, that was just like on Wall Street I right know, there. I know, I know. I heard they, they moved out of their equity positions. Wow. Of course, they might move back in, a, in three days. Sure, I don't know. I don't, know. I don't have any idea what kind of this investors is just the, those this guys This is the word are. on the street amongst us yeah. bears. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, the bears are winning right now, I would say. Um, and and one real question about whether you know you you watch these markets is you know is this the time to get in? You know, you want to grab the bottom. And, and this is where I love what Buffett and Munger say about this, and and this is why they don't subscribe to the idea that you really make market calls per se, you know, it's too high, we're getting out or too low, we're getting in, is that ultimately you're not buying the market, you're buying individual companies. So all you should really care about, like we talked about last time, is that that company, which you're capable of understanding, which has a big moat, which has good management and is on sale, that that company is on sale at a price that you're happy to pay it. And you'd be very happy if the price keeps going down. And there's there's the rub. I mean, if if you can get your head in a place where um, you can buy a company like Chipotle Mexican Grill at X price, and we'll talk about that today, um, and yes, then hope it goes down. We are definitely going to get to Chipotle. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> going to. But if you let's say you buy Chipotle now and it's at what is it four hundred and eleven dollars a share, you don't want to do that. And I'm not saying you should do that. We're going to talk about the value here in a minute. But let's say you decided $411 a share was a margin of safety price for you, and you bought it at $411. In our view, and I think the same holds, I know the same hold true is for Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, is that if you're buying it at $411 and you're doing it with your head screwed on right, then you will hope it goes down to $200. Because you are going to buy, buy more. more. Exactly. Because you're buying the company. Well, a couple of things. You're going to buy more. And if the company starts buying its own stock, you'd certainly rather have it buying it at 200 than 400 because sure. you're going to own so much more of the company, relatively speaking. Um, and that if it's at 200, they're likely to start paying a dividend and start paying you cash since the stock is so low. They would need something to drive it up. So all kinds of wonderful things happen that don't even involve you buying more of the stock. Um, that happened to you when a stock price gets really, really cheap on a really good company. Oh, wait. So you uh, first I thought you said you buy more, but then you just said all kinds of you things can, happen besides buying more. Yeah, besides buying more. So even, let's say you put all your money in at 411 Why would you want it to go down? Well, because if it goes down far enough, Chipotle is going to recognize that it's better use of its free cash to buy its stock than to invest in its growth. Because if you let's say that... You're right. The value of the business is $411 a share. Well, the guys running Chipotle might come to that same conclusion if it's mm -hmm. a rational price. So you say, okay, we've, the company's value is $411 a share. The stock is selling for, let's say, in this example, $200 a share. 
because it's dropped like a brick after you bought it for four eleven. Now the company is sitting there. The management of the company is going, well, let's see. We can take this extra cash we've got, and we can invest it in more stores, which we hope will produce a let's say twenty percent per year rate of return. Or we could just buy our stock at $200, which is currently worth $400, and that's a 100% return immediately. I see. So let's do that. And they'll take some of the money that they may have used to grow the business, and they'll simply buy owners out who want to get out at that cheap price. Hmm. Okay. And that accrues, like, let's say you've got so a So that pizza. adds to the value of the stock that you bought at 411 it doesn't add to the value per se. What it does is it shaves down the number of pieces that the company's chopped up into. Oh, that's true. Meaning that your yeah. piece is larger. Now, where the value, you know, companies buy stock back for lots of bad reasons as well as lots of good ones. And you may actually be experiencing the value of the business going down like a brick while the company is buying back its stock. So you're actually losing money. Um, because they're doing stock buybacks. So you really uh, kind of need to know the value of the business you're buying. That's just what Munger is saying, simple. And that involves three steps. Number one, are you capable of understanding the business? Number two, does it have intrinsic characteristics, built-in qualities into the business that give it a durability and protection against competitors? And third, do you like the guys running the business? If you've got those three things, you've got what we would call a wonderful business. And you'd say, okay, now the only thing left is how much can I buy it for? Mm-hmm. And that means you need to know what it's worth, which now that you know it's a wonderful business, you can figure out what it's worth. Because to me, if I'm not capable of understanding the business, then it's not wonderful for me. I have no way to judge it. So the exactly. only businesses I can put a value on are businesses that are wonderful by definition. I understand them. They've got a moat. They've got good managers. That means they're, they are valuable. <laughs> I can value them. I can put a price on it. And that's going to be some reflection of free cash flow. The value of that business is just kind of the way we would do it if we wanted to buy a piece of real estate or a farm, something that is simple to understand. You know, let's, let's take, for an example, a, a soybean farm in Iowa. Okay. Corn and soybeans rotating back and forth, right? Okay, so farm prices get, like the price of corn and soybeans goes up like a rocket, let's say. Um, And these guys are making money hand over fist. And so when one farmer wants to retire and sell his land to another farmer, that farmer's willing to pay more because he's making more money. So the prices of farmland goes up. And as the price of farmland goes up, what inevitably happens in a market where the prices are going up is that greater fools show up. Mm-hmm. So where the, the initial farmer who bought the land was paying a price that was reasonable, the next guy might be paying a little bit much. And since the prices are continuing to go up, more and more fools rush in and drive those prices up even farther until there's no relationship between the amount of money the farm is making nor will make in the future, and the price people are paying for this farm. It it disconnects itself because people aren't buying it to get cash flow. They're buying it because some bigger fool is going to come along and buy it from them. That's a bubble. 
Okay. That's a bubble. It's not based on the intrinsic value. Right. Not based on intrinsic value. So that happens in all markets. In capitalism, that's just the way it works. People jump in who are crazier and crazier and pay bigger and bigger prices until finally it gets completely stupid. And usually that gets caused by some outside thing. In farming, it would be caused because there's way too many corn, too much corn and soybeans being grown and the price collapses because there's too much. It's a gigantic uh, surplus and the price collapses. Now you've got this low price and all of a sudden it doesn't make any sense to pay $16,000 an acre for a corn property. And so the price starts to plummet. And then people who bought these farms, who went into the bank to get a loan based on this increasing price, all of a sudden they don't have the cash flow to pay the loan, and the bank has to come in and foreclose. And the banks are totally focused on, let's say over the last five years, on making loans to farming properties for corn and soybeans, and they've lent out all their money to corn and soybeans farms. And now they're foreclosing on them one after another. And what happens is the bank regulators come in and say, look, you don't have enough money left in the bank. We're taking over your bank. And we're now going to liquidate all of these assets that you've been collecting because you're having to foreclose on all these farms so that your, 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 so that your uh, depositors don't lose any money. And that's how a crash happens. And that's how a crash happens. Yeah. The crash is happening, and the banks crash, and then the, now the government ends up with all these farms. Okay. Does this sound familiar? It happens over and over again. This thing I'm describing right now happened in 1980, 81, 82, right in that time frame. Um, but it sounds a lot like the real estate meltdown in 2007, too. Okay. So here we are with a farm uh, that the bank now owns. Banks don't take care of farms as well as the guy who owns the farm. And so they give it to some tenant to farm it, and they're just farming it and making as much money as they can without really caring for it because they're not going to be in it that long. Make sense? So they're not going to get as much off this farm as a good farmer would. Um, and the bank is trying to sell it for 11000 and nobody buying. And then 8000 nobody's buying. And then 5000 nobody's buying. There's no one, because there's farmland available everywhere. You can buy this stuff all over the place. So this bank is sitting on it and refuses to sell it lower than that. And pretty soon their board of directors is like, hey, you got to get rid of this because we're getting shut down and dump it. And so they finally say dump it. And then an investor like me or you or Warren Buffett or you listeners who have been monitoring this situation, then you're paying attention and you say, okay, look, I'll give you a bid on this farm. And you bid a price that would give you, after all expenses of a farmer coming in there and farming it, after all the maintenance, after the insurance, after everything there is that you have to pay, you bid a price that would give you at least a 10% return per year. Just the way it sits right now without any better farming practices. Okay. That's how you get to intrinsic value of the farm. That's how I'd get there. Oh, I did not know where you were going with that. That's where I'm going. <laughs> so that's what the farm's worth. Got it. That's what with the farm's me? worth. That's what it's worth. When you consider that, I know when I have a good farmer, production will go up. I also know that in the next 10 years, these terrible farm prices that I'm getting for corn and soybeans, those will correct. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I know with a high degree of certainty that I'm going to be getting about 10% per year on my cash investment. And in the next 10 years, it's likely to be much higher than that. Mm -hmm. So the real value of the property is probably more than I'm paying for it. 
So I, when I said that's the intrinsic value, I would say that's the margin of safety price. The intrinsic value is higher than that. Okay. So um, let's connect that to Chipotle. Okay. So now let's talk about a company. Well, we're looking at the same thing. Actually, let me, let me try one more example in terms of real estate. Let's say we buy a building in a good location, which has also been foreclosed on, and which we can now buy with 25% vacancy and a tenant for nine years at $5 a foot in a $70 a foot market. And we can buy that building with a 10% cash on cash return. Okay. That would be a margin of safety. Okay, so that's what we're out for. We want a big margin of safety. And you can see it's somewhat related to my cash, my free cash return on the amount of money that I'm investing. All right. So now let's go look at Chipotle Mexican Grill. Okay. All right. So Chipotle, it is, for those who do not know, a fast casual restaurant straight out of Denver, Colorado, which is pretty awesome. And for some of its... Some of its clients straight out of hell. Stop. It's just straight out. Because <laughs> they went in there and they got E. coli. Yeah. Which is really not fun. Really terrible. I'm sure we've all had food poisoning and we can oh, all relate. Oh, misery. Um, I had it once in Mexico on a motorcycle ride and I was Oh my God. So none of, none of us needed to know that at oh, all. Oh, man. Was not necessary to have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, what I like about Chipotle is that it's all organic. No, that's not true. I think most of it's organic, most of their, um, their the food that they use, and they don't use antibiotics in their meat, which to me is a really big deal. Yep. And they Says I, the girl who's currently on antibiotics, and I would like them to work because I don't want to be an, uh, antibiotic resistant from the yeah. food I eat. But you are not locked in a cage being jacked full of antibiotics just because the living conditions that I'm putting you in are going to kill you otherwise. That is technically true. I <laughs> <laughs> have to go into that a little bit. Why is that only technically I, true? I don't know. That was just such a weird thing to say. Oh, well, I'm just thinking about the poor pigs. Yeah, I don't like to think about them. So that's why I don't buy that meat. And that's why I like Chipotle. And that's why a lot of people like Chipotle. It tastes good. It's good for you. Good options. I mean, I like my pigs running free. Exactly. In fact, I like them running free in the woods where I can shoot them. No, but the point is that you don't want to have antibiotics going into your body all the time from what you're eating. True. That's why I'm always trying to get you to get the organic milk and the organic eggs. Right on. We don't want antibiotics in our bodies except when we need them because then when we need them, they will work. Right on. Whereas if you have them all the time, it suppresses your immune system all the time. So we're going to eat Chipotle and we don't care about the E. coli. We did eat Chipotle last week. <laughs> I know, we were really brave. <laughs> we posted it up on Facebook. Ah, Chipotle bravery. So Chipotle, besides being a really interesting store, if you are worried about E. coli, is also one of the great success stories in fast food restaurants. It is. They yeah. I think they kind of invented that concept of fast casual. Fast casual, natural Natural stuff. stuff they yeah. did. And because of that, they have a very strong brand moat. For the life of me, I can't figure out why everybody doesn't copy them exactly in the way they do their food because they make such good burritos. And if I go over to other companies that I won't name because never know, <laughs> then I don't get the same burrito. It doesn't taste as good. I so know. I like Chipotle stuff a yeah, lot. Right? Yeah, so they've too. got this brand with me that says, I like your values and I like your stuff and I'm going to keep going there. And um, 
And they have one of the most successful track records of any companies I have ever seen in terms of steady, consistent, great growth. So let's start going down Charlie's list here for a second. Are we capable of understanding the burrito business? You know what? I will say I think this is one I can understand. I love it. Because we have friends who are who are who have become very, very wealthy doing Domino's pizza franchises, doing Subway franchises, doing Wendy's franchises. I mean, not, not to say it's easy. I don't think Chipotle does franchises, though. But I think they have most of them in-house. Yeah. They're all in-house. I think they're all in-house. In so the point being that people do these franchises of fast, casual restaurants, and they're just... They're normal people. Well, the ones you just mentioned are fast food. That's true. Typical fast food. I mean, my mom ran one. Your grandmother. She ran a Dairy Queen, right? She ran a Dairy Queen. And my dad worked in another Dairy Queen because he couldn't work in her Dairy Queen. So <laughs> he would get done for, at work in the daytime. Oh, man, that was not good. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd go down and we get all the dilly bars we could imagine, you know. All the all the bad dilly bars came home What's into the freezer. What's a dilly bar? It's this, you know, vanilla ice cream coated with chocolate. Oh, like the haagen bars. Did haagen copy Dairy Queen? If they did, they did a very good copy. <laughs> so haagen <laughs> is way better. <laughs> I apologize to Dairy Queen lovers. I apologize. I don't think that they make it's those more, anymore. It's, it's more that now the it's Dilly Bar cakes. just, I got Dilly Bar'd out. I'll tell you that. I've never heard of them. I don't yeah, think they do they them. Check it out. You can write us in if they still do Dilly Bars. But what makes Chipotle so fascinating as a company is how consistent its growth's been. For example... Um, we look at four really important numbers when we look at um, how good of a company it is. We, and, I, and I'll read them off for you. Here you are. Book value per share plus dividends is the growth rate of that. Okay, so with these share. numbers, I'm just going to say up front, I'm just going to let you run through them. Gonna, I, are you going to just gray out I'm going to gray. I'm not, no, I mean, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm not going to really know what you're talking about. I'm well, probably, let me slow down No, because, because No, 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 because it's going to take a very long time for us to go through these a lot. It, well, we're not going to go through them a lot right now. Right, that's my point. So we can I do think, them one at a time. We can I spend an entire just, hour on the, each one. That's exactly my point. I think you should just go through them for Chipotle. I will take them as gospel, and we can discuss them. And another this time. is where you can write emails to Charlie Munger at... Charlie Munger? Yeah, Charlie Munger. What's the name of that terrible oh, offer? I do a cheat in hell. Write Charlie, because Charlie is like how simple this is. <laughs> but once it's sort of like once you learn the language, you know, once you learn Spanish, speaking in Spanish is simple. If you've never learn any Spanish, and you're wandering around Argentina, you might have some trouble yeah, communicating. Yeah, so I, I imagine a lot of people listening will know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm just going to let it run. Okay, just let it let run. let it run. Let the skis go. <laughs> Book value per share. This is, <clears throat> this is the equity that you own in the business, plus the dividends that have been paid out to you. So it's the growth rate of that equity <clears throat> that, that what the company collects of its earnings and cash and holds on to drops to equity and becomes what you own as a shareholder. Um, so that if the company were to be liquidated tomorrow, they would pay off all of the liabilities out of all of the assets, and what you'd have left is called equity. And if that number is growing consistently over time, that's the single best indicator of the of the growth speed of the speed of the growth of value of the business. Okay. okay. Book value per share. <clears throat> the second one is earnings per share growth. And this is um, we've talked about the income statement and how earnings are a little bit kind of fictional, 
um, because of accrual accounting, but it's one very good way to look at a business to see if it's profitable. This would be what would be considered the profits of the business, earnings per share. So what's the growth rate of those? The, the third number is operating cash flow per share. I'm Now, I have to say, I use operating cash flow per share because it's so much more consistent than free cash. But the truth is the right number here is free cash flow growth over the long run. So we're looking at the growth of cash, not just the growth of earnings. Okay, And then the fourth one is the growth of the sales of the company. So this is the revenue. How much are they selling? Now, ideally, a really good company, all four of these growth rates are growing together. They're all parallel to each other, and they're going right up. Like if you drew lines for each one of these, you put dots in and you end up with lines, it would look like four lines going from, let's say, on a clock face, the lines would be starting on the left side of the graph over here at about 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and they would be growing to 2 o'clock, just straight across this, this clock face. That would be an ideal-looking company. And I'm showing you this right now. Take a look. I have no idea what that means. Check this out. This is a, a graph here that we've done. And there's Chipotle. And that's exactly what I'm saying. It's starting about 8 o'clock oh. and going to about 2 o'clock. See what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, everybody. This is just <laughs> this is just a line graph. And the lines just start out a little bit lower than where they end up. But in my head, I put it on a clock face. <laughs> I had no idea what you were talking about. Like some sort of round graph? Yeah, it's, um, it's just in no, my head. No, this is a typical graph. So like it starts at 1 and goes I'm up I'm making two. word pictures for it the audience. It goes up to 100. It was beautiful. Left you completely confused. I'm, I'm a little out of it. So right. probably everybody else totally got it. So let's. that indicates to me a very well-run company, really consistent growth. The lines are almost all straight. If you were to look at a company like General Motors before it went bankrupt, these lines would look like some six-year-old kid had taken his pencil to it and just scribbled up and down, up and, and down, up and down. And like this is 10 years. Yeah. This goes back 10 years long. Um, so when you say it goes up and down, that means that like the it's numbers have gone up like and that. down year yeah. by year. And what you want to see is an even, standard, nice upward growth. Yeah, exactly. And Chipotle has that. And because Chipotle has that, Mr. Market loves Chipotle because this is consistency. And the stock market loves nothing better than consistency and predictability. Mm-hmm. And so Chipotle has that in spades. And what, what happens when you have this kind of predictability and this kind of consistency in a stock fundamentals is that the guys who are running these mutual funds start to become very confident that next year it'll grow like that and the next year it'll grow like that. And it's going to grow at those same rates forever. And so they'll just keep, just like that farmer growing corn and soybeans, they keep bidding the price up of the farm because it's so consistently producing these big numbers. And gradually, the price of the farm disconnects from those fundamental numbers and becomes a thing of its own that's going up because people know it's going up. Okay. Right. So that's. Do you think a, that's what's happening here? I think that's what happened here. Or, yeah, what happened. <clears throat> so, not happening how would, anymore. Yeah, not happening anymore. So, one of the things that we, we you need to know about Chipotle is that it has just gone through this huge crisis, and the stock price was at about $760 a share. 
Then they ran into this E. coli problem, and then they ran into another E. coli problem, and then pretty soon it started to look yeah, like it was like a big all problem. all over the place. Yeah. And then California now is trying to sue them for criminal intent. Well, of course, California. Because, get this, California is going after them maybe for criminal charges because the guys that ran the store, as soon as they found out people were getting sick, they shut the store down immediately and took everything out of it and threw it away and then scrubbed the store with chlorine bleach to kill everything around it. Okay. Yeah. All right. That and sounds intelligent. Sure, but they didn't tell the bureaucrats they were going to do it first. And so the bureaucrats are saying, well, if you'd not done that, we could have come in and inspected it and maybe figured out where the problem was. Uh, you can see where they're coming from. The details of food safety investigations. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So these guys just said, holy crap, we need to be back in business. Hmm. They said, no, we're not going to wait for the bureaucrats. Now the bureaucrats are mad at them. So we'll see what happens with that. But the stock price is reflecting this fear and uncertainty. Well, right, which is reasonable, I think. Which is not unreasonable. Like, we don't know that Chipotle, since they don't seem to know how to solve this problem, can solve it. We don't know if they can solve it or not. Right. We don't know. And so fear grows. And it could keep grows. going. And it could keep going. And they might have to shut down some stores. Destroy their brand. It could totally destroy their brand. Get all kinds of apocalyptic events possible here. Yeah. And so people are bailing out. Now, who are the people who are bailing out? Well, 85% of the money invested in Chipotle is institutional. Okay. So these are pension funds, mutual funds, indexes. These are all sorts of, of not indexes directly, but people getting out of indexes, um, and banking funds that are getting out of that stock. And they're starting... They started to run to the door. And as they start start to run to the exit door away from that stock, it's like they're getting out of a crowded theater when people are starting to smell smoke. And the more smoke, in the, then the faster people run for the door. And, and what happens inevitably is that you can't get out. There's this mob at the door. And that's what these guys get worried about because they have so much money. They're very, very large oh, investors. like they have so much money in it that they won't be able to find a buyer. Exactly. They become a self-fulfilling prophecy of nothing but doom. So they need to get out early. They try to get out early and they accelerate this getting out. And as, as these first guys are leaving, you know, I'm sitting there in the theater and I know that guy's really good at smelling smoke. And so I might say, hey, man. Where are you going? And he says, well, I'm just going to the bathroom because he doesn't want me to think he's running out of the theater because I might run to the door ahead of him and cause a panic. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So they lie. They go on CNBC and they tell you how great things are with Chipotle. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, my cousin ate there. Right? It's only 578 people who maybe, reported it. <laughs> maybe Chipotle gave me tonsillitis. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, no. I'm starting the rumor. File a claim. <laughs> and so the this guy who's definitely decided he's going to exit with his fund money wants about six weeks to get out. It's going to take him that long. It takes that long? Yeah. Bill Nigren at Oakmark Select said six it takes weeks. him about six to eight weeks to get out. That's crazy. Well, you'd think it would be, except you got to realize that most stock trading that goes on, if you look on the real-time trades on a stock market, it's 300 shares, 100 shares, 400 shares. I mean, think about what a billion dollars of Chipotle would be at that price. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of shares. And so... Yeah, I guess you can't just do one, <laughs> one you, you try to do one big sale and, you know, all of a sudden the market freezes in terror and the stock price was at 411 today and when it opens where there's a bid, 
It's at 200. Hmm. And that's what, that's what happened when some of these companies really melt down. I mean, Enron took its last bid at $9 a share. It had come down from 60 to 9 over about three months. And then from 9, there was no bid. Like the news hit so badly and everybody got oh, so scared. Really? The next bid was zero. Wow. Yeah. And then you've got a company that's dead. So um, Chipotle is really, really interesting company um, in, in view of a couple of things that we've talked about here. First off, you've raised a lot of good points about why there's very good rationalizations to be nervous and scared about the company. But let me ask you a question. This is... Without question, one of the best-run companies, one of the most uh, talented management teams, and one of the teams with the most integrity in the entire world. So when they announce that what they're going to do is use this crisis to create new, better-than-the-bureaucrat food safety regulations for themselves, they're going to set a new standard on an order of magnitude better than anybody in the industry. I believe them. I think they'll do it. I think so, too. I mean, they just have so much commitment to their food being well-sourced Yeah. in other ways. I mean, clearly they have not <laughs> been wanting E. coli to come in, but they've been focused on the antibiotics and on the organic and on having sustainable food practices. And so clearly, like, it's something that they've thought about. And if they add in now food safety as a real goal, which one would hope it was already, but now more of one. I'm sure it was the industry standard. And, you know, I'm this sure, has happened yeah. to Jack in the Box. This has happened to other companies, Taco Bell. Yeah. It's going to happen to another company down the road. And Chipotle wants to make sure it's never going to be them. And they're going to raise the standard. And I believe them that they'll do that. Now, let's say that they do that. And let's say they have a really crappy next two years while they're doing that. They've, they've hurt their brand. People are nervous about going there. Um, it's going to cost them a lot more money to have this new standard, right? Mm-hmm. And so over the next two years, all of the people who are worried about all the things you just said, just get out of the stock. Mm-hmm. And they just keep driving it down lower and lower and lower. So here's the, here's the, the $64 million question. Is it, would it be unreasonable to say that when they get this all fixed, this really great management team, that long run, we're talking five to 10 years down the road, this will just be a historical event, and we'll, the, the company will be back on track to continue growing at these marvelous growth rates that we've seen. Well, that's the question. Can it continue growing? Well, that's another question. That's a actually. question I got on my Instagram. Ah, Can I ask that question? Sure. Okay. Well, then the answer to that, I think, is what well, you want to try to ask it the way they asked it? It's so... By the way, my Instagram is awesome. <laughs> I don't even know how to find it. I know you don't. Um, All right. So this, I hate, by the way, I hate like Instagram names. They all sound so stupid when you say them out loud. Oh, tell me a stupid Instagram name. I'm I'm sorry. No, this one is not stupid. It's just like, they're just all like this. Go ahead. It's Speed OM8. Okay. Yeah, that's a stupid Instagram name. No, it's fine. It's just that like, I'm sure it means something. Give me another one. The point is saying out loud. Okay, Speed OM8. Anyway, I might not say any more out loud. Speed O. He says... At 12, I know it's a he because there's a picture of a guy on the... Uh, Not that they'd ever lie. Not that they'd ever lie. At 12.8 billion market cap, there isn't a whole lot of room for growth, he thinks. What do you think? All right. Okay, wait, there's more. On the other hand, the PEG, I don't know what that is, has fallen to 0.80. Well, let's talk about these two things. First off, market cap. 
is the price of the stock per share, which is $411, times the number of shares that the company has outstanding. Okay. And when you multiply those two together, I haven't checked the math, but apparently you get... Yeah, I don't know if that's what true. What does it say? 12 12.8 billion. 12.8 billion. billion. Okay. So he's saying, geez, it's really a high value in the market or high price in the market. Can't Does it have room to grow? So if we're saying, wow, this Chipotle is growing at 25% a year, that would mean every three years it has to double that. Hmm. If in fact that's the right value of the business. Hmm. So in three years, it'd be 24 billion. In six years, it'd be 50 billion. In nine years, it'd be 100 billion. You know, how big of a market cap can this get? I mean, you've got Apple at 700 billion, or it used to be. Um, you got IBM at 100, 100 billion or so. Oh, I mean, so it can obviously get a lot bigger than It can get a lot bigger. So the one you'd want to look at probably is McDonald's. So here's what I want you to do. I'm, I hate giving out just answers because then we're spoon-feeding everybody and nobody learns anything. <laughs> so here's what you should do. Go find out how big is the market cap of other businesses similar to this one that have been been around longer, been really successful. Oh, Dad, you're teaching us to fish. <laughs> teaching you to fish. <laughs> and, and, and what I would suggest is that um, there might be quite a lot of room hmm. for this company to grow. Okay. Um, first off, and and second, um, he might have a really good point about limits to growth, um, both in terms of the rate of growth, which Chipotle has at about 24% a year, which is stunningly fast, um, as well as sort of where's the ceiling to the number of restaurants that you could possibly put out there. Just for a point of reference, McDonald's has, I don't know what, 40,000. Okay. Chipotle has 2,000. Hmm. So there's a room there. Um, not that Chipotle is going to be on every corner necessarily. It's a little different model, um, but there's room there. Just don't know how much the room is there. I would not be very comfortable putting a 24% growth rate on this thing to project out into the future. I think it's think too big. You think they'll slow down? I think they have to. And I think this is going to help just help reset their market price. Um, and one of the things that you look at when you're looking at the market cap is you're basically looking at an appraisal by, the, by Mr. Market of um, you know, that growth rate. How fast is that company going to grow into the future? And the growth rate required for this company to be worth $12, $15 billion is just enormous. And I think completely impossible for the company to handle long term. You, you'd end up with Chipotle having to be bigger, bigger than Apple in 20 years or something. It's just, it gets crazy. And yet people don't realize that that's the, that rate of growth is basic to what they're paying for the business because it's the cash flow that we're buying. So if we're making a million dollars a year and we're growing that million dollars a year at 25% a year, then in three years, we'll be making $2 million. In six years, we'll be making $4 million. In nine years, we'll be making $8 million. So I'm willing to pay a lot more for the cash flow that's going to come off of this company that's growing at 25% a year than a company that's making me a $1 million a year and it's not growing at all. So next year, it's a million. The year after that, it's a million. Right? Four years from now, it's not $4 million. It's still a million. Nine years from now, it's not $8 million, It's still a million. So I'd be crazy not to be willing to pay more to have that cash flow growth. So the growth rate of your cash flow is a really important part of calculating what the value of the business is. And I, I kind of have a feeling we're starting to run up against a little bit of a deadline here on how deadline much time we have. How much time we have. Oh, 
So I'm thinking before I get too, too, too far deep into this, let's do some more on Chipotle next week. We've just sort of stepped into yeah, this thing. Yeah, this is the sense I'm getting is like, whoa, there's a lot We're to say. We're swimming into deep water and, here. And uh, my brain is not working very well to comprehend everything that you're saying. I know. I'm I feel like I'm going to go, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm just, I feel like I'm going to listen to this. Here's my plan. I will listen to our own podcast <laughs> t- tomorrow, and I'll make notes of all the things I should have asked you, and then I'll ask them to you next week. Okay, and then we'll get we'll get deeper into this. But for right now, let me just tell you what my opinion is. And this is I'm not your advisor. I do not have a fiduciary relationship with you, so do not take this as financial advice or any kind of a stock recommendation. I'm just giving you my opinion as a learning exercise, so you guys can kind of have a some point of reference for what somebody is doing out there who's a professional at this. And so um, my view is that this company is worth just ballpark round numbers. Um, before this big mess happened, probably around 500 bucks. Per share. Per share. It was selling for 760. So it was 40% or more f- over what I would have been willing to say is its real value. Okay, but you don't buy things for its real value. No, I don't. So I was hoping it would go to 250. Okay. Which is going to be a long wait. You know, when snowballs melt, I'll get Chipotle at 250, giving its normal overpriced situation in the market because it's so consistent and such a good company. Nobody's going to get it down to 250. So this E. coli thing is an event. And an event makes it possible for me to think that maybe this thing's going to slide all the way down under 300 bucks some boy. So you think I'm, it might? I, under I, 300? I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think people are that stupid. But if we get the whole market dropping 30 or 40%, then it will. It'll, yeah, it'll go down with the whole market. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. oh, my gosh, I will so load up on this. Now, don't you load up on this until you've done your homework. This is just my opinion, and I may not even do it at the time. So don't copy. <laughs> Some warning. Don't copy. But just to give I mean, you an idea. I mean, we could be recording this three months ago. Yeah, we could be. We could have known exactly what the stock price was going to be on whatever day today is. Wow. We are so smart. We're so smart. i got to get you out of here before you completely go into the zone. <laughs> All right. So, you guys, we're going to dive into how you go about value. Where did I come up with $500 and $250? And so I'm just pulling that out of my rear. Uh, not No, excuse me. I'm just pulling that out of the rear window of the car and going to okay, I think going I have to talk to get about you out that. Of here yeah, too. you better get me out of here. All right. Let's get rid of this. Let's, let's get, get rid of this right now. Shut this all down. <laughs> Sorry you guys for all those crude references and will never happen again. Yeah, it's right. Danielle's fault. Yeah. Um, all right. So, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, and send questions to Quest- oh, good point. Questions at investedpodcast.com. Yeah, we're going to end up with some good questions here. We've got a bunch of them from you guys. We can't take them all, but we'll take the most fun ones. Yeah, I'm trying, um, and, <laughs> and we're trying to get to them. But it's awesome because we're stacking up a bunch of topics that people want to hear about. Yep, so we got lots to talk about. i got to get this girl to bed. It's time to go play. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop. 
for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do is enter the special podcast code STOCKPILE, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, STOCKPILE, into the application form and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.